We're glad to have Dr. Garfield Harvey back teaching with us today. Today's scripture reading is from Acts 8, 26 through 35. If you'd like to follow along in our Pew Bibles, this is on page 918. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, we will light our first Advent candle in remembrance of our Savior who humbly came down to this earth as a baby. We wait in hope and joy for his return when all things will be made right and whole. Good morning. I understand it was pretty quiet up here. <laughs> I guess I didn't do too bad. I got invited again. <laughs> I see you guys are still laughing. Not sure if you're laughing at me or with me, but <laughs> but either one still works. Uh, so today we're actually in Isaiah 50 through 53, um, but I needed to use the Book of Acts to kind of create the right backdrop um, for this. Um, hope you guys are paying attention or reading along. So in Acts chapter eight, we have this Ethiopian official who is mentioned as a eunuch. You guys know what a eunuch is? Don't answer, it's just one second. <laughs> but in those days, anyone serving in the king's or queen's palace, they, they were made eunuch to ensure that there's no sexual relation to contaminate the royal bloodline. Um, so that was intentional. But this man is highly uh, regarded as an official. He's in the court of Queen Candake, the Queen of Ethiopians, and he's in charge of the treasury. So this man is highly esteemed, very respected, and has made this spiritual and physical pilgrimage. So it's a long pilgrimage from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. It's about a thousand uh, miles, but keep in mind, it's not just a thousand miles where 
You can just jump in your car, get in a train, plane. He's actually traveling by chariot. So just imagine that. So this is something that took quite a few days, and he makes this journey from Ethiopia. Now, I did a little research because I want you to hear how it sounds just traveling. You might get tired. So it's going through Sudan into Egypt, follows the Nile, cuts over Sinai Peninsula, up into Israel. So he's making his way through Jerusalem, and he's seeking God. All this just to seek God, right? Now, there are millions of people in the world who are doing the same thing, seeking God. And maybe some of you are here, and we often call them seekers, right? Um, so you're seeking God. Many of you are curious about this Jesus thing, as they often say. But this eunuch gets to Jerusalem on this pilgrimage, and he has a spiritual encounter with God, but he can't connect the dots, trying to figure out what's happening inside of me. And I'm sure many of you can remember the times when you didn't have Christ in your life, and you're like, there's this tingling feeling inside. And sometimes we say, oh, I got goosebumps all over my body, and I don't know what this means. This is this official. He has this feeling, and he's trying to understand what's going on. And he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. Um, in fact, we can all presume that he is well-paid serving this treasury because he owned a scroll. Now, for him to possess a scroll is a big deal because in those days it would be a rare thing. So we have the luxury of walking around with Bibles and different versions, uh, ESV, NIV, different things. But in those days, that wasn't the case. They actually have a scroll. And they had no printing press, which means someone is actually writing on parchment paper. And so he has this. So it's a big deal. Now, we don't know how much of the scripture he has. We do know that he has the scroll of Isaiah, and that's what he's reading. So while he's reading, we have this person called the Holy Spirit. You guys ever met him before? You guys are so quiet today. <laughs> hey, we should all have the Holy Spirit. We got saved. You guys met the Holy Spirit before? Uh, there we go. So as this eunuch is reading, Philip is on the other side, and he gets nudged by the Holy Spirit. I always talk about you know, my wife and my sister-in-law and her mom, and we have a tendency to go to the supermarket. And so when I go to the supermarket, or even the mall, I kind of walk five feet behind. The reason I walk five feet behind is because at any given moment, they can be nudged to pray for someone. Could be the cash register, the person there, and they're in line and ringing up, and all of a sudden, her mom will be like, hey, let me just say this now, this person's crying their eyes out, and people are in line waiting to get this stuff done. So I kind of like just stay back a few feet. I don't know who they are, and, and just, they've even done it like on the, by the exit, standing at the door, blocking traffic, praying for people. This is Philip. Philip is on the other side. The Holy Spirit nudged him and says, go by the chariot. That's all the Holy Spirit does. No directions except to go there and wait. So Philip goes to the chariot and overhears this man reading from the scroll. And he asked him a question. Do you understand what you're reading? The man simply responded very honestly and says, no, I don't understand. 
I know that's one of those things where our culture nowadays, you know, we're not humble enough to say no sometimes because we know we have access to Google. So we know everything, right? But this man gave this answer to say no. And so I've spent several years in seminary and when I'm preparing sermons, I spend a lot of hours studying. And I can say there are times when I'm reading the Bible and I'm like, I don't understand. But I love the thrill of researching and just understanding what God's word is saying. So this guy doesn't understand and he invites Philip to sit with him in the chariot, possibly to explain some of the content. So the verses we read in Acts chapter 8 are the verses that Philip pulled from Isaiah 53. These are the verses that Philip uses to explain Jesus to him. So when we look in the book of Isaiah, we find that Jesus is revealed in the Old Testament 700 years before Christ appears in the New Testament. Now, I'm going to use that word 700 because I want to over-exaggerate how long this time period is. So Isaiah is prophetically writing things about the coming Messiah. Now, I want to be clear that when I say 700 years, I'm not talking about simply the birth of Christ. I'm talking about 700 years before Christ appears in his humanity. Because Jesus is in the Bible the same way from the beginning through the end. So, so I want to make it clear that Jesus is co-equal and co-eternal with God. So Jesus is God, but there's a point in which he left heaven, entered humanity through the miraculous conception that was orchestrated by God, God's plan. So God's divine orchestration paved way for the only person who ever lived and was able to die for all the imperfect people who have ever lived. All those imperfect people are you and me. So Jesus comes into the world as God in the flesh, and as Isaiah is now talking about him, coming into this world, how long? 700 years, yes. Oh, I love it, you guys talk back, sweet. I'm gonna bottle up all your responses and just take it back to church and just release it when, it's, when I ask a question. So Isaiah spoke about this entrance into the world and we find it now, let's go into these previous chapters in which we find this, Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him who? Emmanuel. We also find Jesus in Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Now, my wife's a King James baby, I should always say. You guys grew up in the King James? Only a few hands. <laughs> yeah, you know, and any English major in the house? Uh, love literature? Loving the thou's, yes, I see some heads saying, yep, I love those, the thou's. Because in King James would say, for unto us, and you're like, yes. But I'm gonna read, for to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As you can see what it says for us, Christ is given to us because God, of course, sent his son. So Isaiah is writing about the birth of Christ, who is God, who has clothed himself in humanity to save us from our sins, right? 
Now, between Isaiah 50 and 53, the Ethiopian official is reading the same text that we find in Acts chapter 8. Now, in this immaculate detail, Isaiah describes the beating, humiliation, crucifixion, suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. How long? 700 years before it even happened. So the Bible presents Christ from Genesis to Revelation. For example, the Messiah, which in Hebrew translates anointed one, and the Greek equivalent of Mashiach is Christos. So whenever we say Christ, we're saying anointed one. And whenever we say Messiah, we're saying anointed one. So Jesus is the long anticipated Messiah, the anointed one, who was spoken about 700 years before he actually comes to earth. So when we read our Bibles, Isaiah is speaking about the Messiah. Now we have the advantage of looking at scriptures and realizing that Jesus is in the Old Testament. We see how he came to earth, took on the nature of a servant, and subjected himself to the most excruciating death, death by crucifixion. Now, the etymology of the word excruciating comes from the Latin excrux. Ever heard of that before? E-X-C-R-U-X, excrux, meaning from the cross. So even the definition of excruciating speaks about the crucifixion, and Jesus experienced that for us. So Jesus subjected himself to crucifixion by willingly laying down his life. Uh, this was preordained, it was the preordained plan of God, and Jesus willingly subjected himself to the will of the Father. Jesus said in John 10, verse 17, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Jesus said he would rise from the dead, and he did, because no one takes his life from him. He laid it down. Jesus willingly laid down his life because he loves us and knew that he had the power to take it up again. So Jesus was triumphant over both sin and death. And all of this was part of God's plan for the salvation of the world. Peter in Acts chapter 2 verse 23 says, This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. So again, to reiterate, this is God's plan. Then later Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1 verse 20, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. In other words, because God knows all things, he knew that mankind would rebel and sin against him. So even before Adam sinned, before Adam and Eve sinned, before the creation of the world, God put this motion in place. This redemptive plan was set forth even before this took place. So Jesus steps into time and was crucified as part of God's preordained plan. So the story of Jesus is revealed throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We could easily say that the Old Testament previews Jesus and the New Testament reveals Jesus. Now, I want to point out a few things for us. Now, Isaiah 15, verse 6, is speaking from the first person, the Messiah. The Messiah said, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. 
I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Now, if you know the story of the crucifixion, this is leading up to the crucifixion of Christ. So prophetically speaking, Jesus will suffer brutal beatings in these hours leading up to the crucifixion. But Isaiah gives us this insight in small details that none of the Gospels reveal. The Gospels, they don't tell us that Christ's face, um, his beard was ripped from his face. We don't find that. Um, but Isaiah tells us this. Um, Isaiah goes on to talk about the physical beatings and Jesus sustained all those beatings leading up to the crucifixion, was flogged and nailed to the cross. Isaiah says that he was beaten so severely that his face was disfigured. His face was unrecognizable. Um, you guys seen the movie The Passion of the Christ? And some have heard of it. So the reason you might see how it's written is because the author of, of the movie actually went back to the Old Testament to provide a glimpse of things that's not written in the, in the New Testament. So a lot of times we hang on to the New Testament, but to see the full picture. So Isaiah gives us that. In Isaiah 52, verse 14, it says, Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. The New Testament confirms his beating. Um, in Mark 14, 65, tells us that the Jewish Sanhedrin and the Jewish temple, they beat him. It says, Then some began to spit at him, they blindfolded him, struck him with their fist and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Mark 15, 17 to 19. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, hail king of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. So even though they're trying to mock him, we see throughout scripture that every knee is going to bow, right? So it's like, go ahead and mock me. You're still bowing to me either way. So I'll take it however you want. It's fine. Now, many historians say that most criminals, and Jesus is not a criminal, but most criminals were crucified, and who were crucified, I should say, they actually died before they got to the cross because of all these beatings that they sustained. Well, Christ was no exception to this beating but he was ex an exception to being a criminal. He is the perfect son of God without sin, but took on the sin charges that were preordained, a preordained purpose of God. So Jesus died for the sins of the world, including the people who were beating him. Now we get to Isaiah 53, which gives us detail about the Messiah related to his crucifixion, his suffering and his glorious resurrection. And you're like, why are we talking about this during Advent? I'm getting there. Give me a chance. I'm going to take you through just a few verses of Isaiah 53 and give you seven reasons to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Because in Advent, we talk about an arrival. So now I'm going to be showing you a few things in chapter 53 about this arrival. So... You're going to find that the simplicity of these verses will speak for themselves. I love when scripture defines scripture. So many times we have to go through deep. Let's just see what Google has to say. No, sometimes we can find the answer right there in the text. So the first thing we'll see is that Isaiah says the Messiah would be rejected by many. 
Um, in uh, verse 1 and 3, it says, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind. So this was fulfilled by Jesus 700 years later. John 12, verses 37 to 38. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So John quotes the exact words from Isaiah 53, verse 1. The exact words. The second thing we see is the Messiah would come from humble beginnings. Isaiah 53, verse 2. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Now, I know we try to make Jesus look strong and charming, but Jesus was an unattractive man of Middle Eastern descent. I'm not saying that. That's what I just read. The verse says that there was nothing in his appearance that we should desire. Uh, some have even joked around saying he might have been so unattractive. Women were like, stay away, stay away. But although Jesus was unattractive, his message went forth with power and has a profound impact, which we're still talking about more than 2,000 years later. So this verse talks about humble beginnings, like a tender shoot out of the ground. It's a reference to a branch. Um, the word in Hebrew for branch is netzer. I don't have the but Netzer, N-E-T-S-E-R. And the root of the word Nazareth is Netzer. So Jesus came from humble beginnings and was raised in Nazareth. Um, it was such an unlikely person to become king that his own disciple, his own disciple questioned him because he came from Nazareth. How do we know this? John 1, 46. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? That's what Nathaniel was asking that question. Come and see, said Philip. Isn't it ironic that this is the same Philip that's with this Ethiopian eunuch? Here's the same Philip is saying, oh, there's nothing good? Come and see. So Jesus was from humble beginnings, born in the stable of Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, and historians actually believe that only a couple hundred people that were living there during that time because it was an unknown, obscure village. So nothing good came from Nazareth except Jesus, the Messiah. The third thing we see is that the Messiah would experience suffering. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. 700 years later, Jesus fulfills this in Luke 9, verse 22. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, do you see how important the New Testament is? Because we're seeing these things coming straight from the Old Testament. So we can't just disregard the New Testament. It's very important for us. Again, self-explanatory with that. The fourth thing we see is that the Messiah would bear our sins 
and take our punishment upon himself. Isaiah 53, verses 5 to 6. But he was pierced. Sorry for the King James Version. He was bruised. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity for us all. 700 years later, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2, 24-25, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. All this is quoting from Isaiah 53. But then Peter added, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The fifth thing we see is that the Messiah would keep silent during his suffering. Isaiah 53, verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. When Jesus stood before Pilate, he only said a few things regarding his identity, but otherwise he remained silent. He didn't try to defend himself. On all these accusations, he didn't say a word. Then he's taken in front of Herod, but opened not his mouth. Jesus again fulfilled this in Mark 15, verses 3 to 5. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges us rightly, his father, God. So he didn't need to defend himself in front of man because he knew where he stood in front of his father. So too for us, if we find ourselves in difficulty, we know that we can stand in front of God who will defend us rightly. The sixth thing we see is that the Messiah would die with the wicked and be buried with the rich. Isaiah 53 verse 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Now, that was a very specific detail in Isaiah 53, which was confirmed in Matthew 27, verse 38. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. So Jesus was crucified with two other criminals. So in death, he was numbered among the wicked. But when he was buried, his body was secured by Joseph of Arimathea, who got permission to put his body in his family tomb. Matthew 27, verse 57 tells us that this man was actually a rich man, which fulfilled this prophecy in Isaiah 53. Now, there are many more that we can look at in, in this chapter. Again, talking about Christ's coming, the Messiah in Advent series, about this arrival. And we see it all the way in Isaiah 53. The seventh one we see is that the Messiah would rise from the dead. Verse 10 to 12 from Isaiah 53. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. 
And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The New Testament talks about how Jesus fulfilled this, but Peter specifically preaches this in Acts chapter 2, verses 31 to 33, saying that Jesus was not abandoned to the grave, nor his body suffered decay, but that God raised him to life. And we are witnesses. So Peter is saying now, we witness this resurrection. If you look in Acts chapter 1, you'll see that Christ came back and he met with them and talked about what should happen. That's how Peter knew to wait for, the, uh, for Pentecost, wait for him to go in the upper room and just wait. So he's saying, we've seen this. That's the reason I can preach this to you. These seven points provide highlights from Isaiah 53 to show how all these things were fulfilled exclusively by Jesus Christ. Now, I wouldn't want to bore you with this data, but they gave so many data out there to say that it's one in so many millions and billions and trillions to even one person fulfilled this. And we've seen that Christ fulfilled all these things just in these first few verses. Now, when you see this list, you must ask yourself, is this simply coincidence? And if it's not coincidence, then what does Christ's crucifixion and resurrection means for us. We have to ask ourselves this. Why would God take the time hundreds of years ago? How many years ago? 700 years ago. To have this detail about the coming Messiah who would die for our sins. That's because God cares for us. And he loves us. I mean, the only reason that you would warn someone about impending danger and even tell them how to avoid it is if you really love them. So Christ is coming 700 years in the future, but God takes the time to give this detail to Isaiah to say, I want you to have this available in detail to let them know that I have a son who's coming, and here's how you can experience this life. So God did this to demonstrate his love for us. He knew that we were sinners in need of a savior, so he told us in advance, my son is coming, and if you receive him, you'll have eternal life. Now, here's how I'm going to close this message. I'm going to end this message the same way I began in Acts chapter 8. This Ethiopian official says to Philip, I don't understand this story about the Messiah. And Philip takes him right to Isaiah 53. And I've mentioned before, not today, how the scroll is written, how it was, okay, you guys won't remember. This is just my, you guys remember when we added chapters and verses? Uh, so the 13th century is when we first added chapters in, into the Bible, and verses were added in the 16th century, so not very long ago. So when Philip is talking to this eunuch, 
he doesn't have Isaiah 53 specifically going to. But of course, he walked with Christ. He's seen the resurrection, and he understands this confusion from this eunuch, and he says, I got a story for you, right in your scroll. So he turns there, and he says, now, I don't know exactly how he explained this to the eunuch, but I can just imagine he's probably doing the same thing that I'm doing today. He's talking about this message and probably telling him that Jesus, who died for you, Isaiah spoke about this 700 years earlier. When this official heard about this, the rest of the story tells us in Acts 8 that he's opened his heart and believed in Jesus by faith. He received Christ as Savior and Acts 8 says that Philip is there and he says, hey, now that I know about this Jesus, and now that there's water, what's hindering you from baptizing me? Because you've just shared about this good news of Christ. You've just read my scroll. You didn't bring your own document. You took my scroll and you showed me Jesus in my scroll. So now that I believe in faith, What's stopping you from baptizing me? Because I want to go all the way. This guy's life has never been the same because he experienced Christ. So too, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, you can experience the same change that this official experienced. All of us who are here celebrating as Christians is because we experienced a change in our lives. Now, we talk about how this eunuch was there, he felt this nudge. He felt this touch. Something happened in his life, and he says, I want Jesus. This is how you got saved. You said, oh, I don't know what's going on. Some goosebumps here. It's not because I'm cold. The Holy Spirit is doing something in my life, and I want to experience this. If you're not a Christian, this is an invitation to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to enter into a time of communion, but I want to give an opportunity for you, if you don't know Jesus, to pray a prayer asking Christ's forgiveness of sins. But maybe this is also an opportunity for us to just reflect in our own lives, having busy weeks, long days, and not quite sure where we are. I pray for us right now. Lord, thank you for the reminder of your word. God, you gave this word to Isaiah 700 years before your son even came on the scene. And here we are more than 2,000 years later still experiencing the miracle of the Messiah who came to earth. And in this Advent season, we are reflecting on the arrival of the Messiah who came to die for our sins. Lord God, I pray, God, for everyone that's here in this room, that we just reflect in your goodness. I pray for the one who doesn't know you as Lord of their lives, that they'll take this moment to ask for forgiveness and to receive you, um, knowing that they can have eternal life just by believing. Thank you, God, for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're going to partake of uh, communion. And it is not a ritual. We do this because we want to remember the sacrificial work on the cross. And especially in this Advent season, as we reflect 
on all that took place for us to experience, you know, the miracle of salvation and how Christ came, how God preordained his plan before even sin entered this world. Think about that. He didn't wait for us to sin and then says, oh, I have a way of escape. God had a preordained plan for our lives. So when we take communion, we often say that communion is for the believers, which is why we prayed this prayer for those who don't accept Christ to accept him. Why? Because if you don't have faith in Christ, you won't have the joy to reflect the way that we're reflecting as Christians. Because as Christians, we're reflecting on this miracle. Christ came to earth. So I want to think about this body. It's so fitting how we just read about the body that was broken for us. Isaiah revealed this detail that we didn't see in the Gospels, how his face was disfigured. They can rarely, you could see his face, they say, who is this person? That's the extent that his body was broken for us. So when you're taking of this, of this bread, think about the extent of our sins. His body broken. Let's break his body as symbolic and eat. Something else that we read was how his body was bruised and we know how on the cross the shed blood. But we also read that our note through history that many who were crucified, they died before they even got to the cross. But our Savior said, no, I have to get to the cross because there are people who are going to need redemption. They're going to need forgiveness of sin. So I'm going to hold on as long as I can to make sure that when I get to the cross, the blood is going to run down my body, run to the cross, symbolic to let us know that we can experience this forgiveness of sin. So as we are going to partake of this, I want you to think about all that Christ did, enduring the hardship, the beating, carrying the cross just so he can be on the cross and his blood flow from his body so that we can have new life in Christ. I invite you to partake. Now what we're going to be doing now is whenever we have the word of God being preached or teach we get an opportunity to, to respond, and we respond in worship. Sometimes we're singing a song, sometimes we're listening to the words of the song. So in this moment, we're gonna invite you to respond in worship however you choose. And we have, if you need prayer, we have um, leaders here at the front that's willing to pray with you. You're free to come forward for prayer, but this is a moment, like I said, just to respond in worship. Worship team.